0: In this episode I speak with Emily Cook, award-winning journalist and suspense author. We speak about her two published novels and her existing manuscript for her third book. We talk about the golden hour, positive procrastination, Pixar storytelling rules and dreaming your characters. Welcome to Procrastination Station. Let's begin. Is it hot at procrastination station or is it it's it's red hot smoking hot <laughs> today <laughs> and uh, we've all just dipped our head into an ice bucket what is better time back? could
1: there be to procrastinate than on a day when you <laughs> just can't even remember what your own name is
0: <laughs> that's like a, that's a good one to look at if the weather affects you because I'm sure yeah. it does So, I want to ask you about your productivity because you've written, we've had two books published, the third one on the way, and also behind you a career in journalism. I wanted to know if writing journalistically is different to your fiction career.
1: Yeah, it's a totally different style of writing. So, I think. Uh, what I brought with me from my journalism was being able to write. Like I, I can, I can string sentences together. I can get my point across clearly. Um, I can use grammar. I can spell. You know, that kind of the basic stuff. But that doesn't mm-hmm. make me. That doesn't make me a good fiction writer at all. The kind of articles that I used to write, I used to write more news articles than say features. The kind of thing that you'd get in you know long interviews in magazines i did some of that kind of stuff but mostly i did very um to the point news pieces uh and the the style for that is is very straight and you don't put a lot of what we would call color in uh, mm not lots of description it's short sentences it's about getting your point across quickly before someone loses interest and stops reading and and coming to then writing fiction was very different and putting all that back in that I had spent the rest of my writing career taking out was quite yeah quite interesting process
0: Um,
1: um so yeah they're very different styles of writing uh, and I think it's taken quite a few years for me to knock it out of me really.
0: So how do you start to write a
1: novel? Each book has been slightly different so uh, trying to find the commonalities I guess. I start with a little idea so for my debut If I Die Before I Wake that was driving to work one day and I heard an item on the news on the radio about a man in a coma and I thought oh what that's really interesting what would you do if you were his girlfriend or his parents how what would your life be like I was interested in the guy in the coma too but I was more thinking about his loved ones Mm -hmm. and um, so that was where that started Um, and that book became about The man not in a coma as such but with locked in syndrome and and the people around him and what happened with them as he tries to figure out what has happened to him which turns out this is not a spoiler turns out that someone has tried to kill him but but it's the book is a lot about the the people around him anyway so started with that little idea and then um, what I then tend to do is just write around that, write as much as I can. Any ideas for scenes that I've got, ideas for characters. Uh, then, And then I start to, I, I tend to, what I've done for the last two books at least, is uh, put, put this all on post-it notes. So I kind of, I use a rough three-act structure. Uh, and I work on the basis of about 40 chapters when I'm planning it and that can change um, as I go along. But I kind of have 40 post-it notes on a big whiteboard and I write what where I know the main events are and then I just start filling the rest in really. Like I, I think, well, what would happen in between those two scenes? What would the characters do? And so I kind of work with that and play around with that and do a bit more writing around each of those. And then I use spreadsheets a lot, so I will have a spreadsheet mapping out each each chapter, whose point of view it's from, uh, and I, I try to kind of piece it all together in that way. I think with my third book, um, which I have just delivered to my editors, so it's I'm kind of I'm about to embark on edits in the next month or so, and this one. Was an idea that that started it, so it was the the scenario that began. But then, quite closely following that, I had a very strong sense of the character that I wanted to tell it, um, which I think was the first time that had really happened to me that it had been very character led, and I really enjoyed that
0: this time. Mm. So you you sound like you kind of work it out mm. before you start, and you have plotted the. Chapters, or your, you've got this clear structure. Is that normal for suspense novels to have that clear structure, or is this just something good that you question. find easy? Um, I think
1: I'm trying to think. It's a really good question. I think it probably is for this genre uh, because you're, you really are trying to think of where your your kind of your red herrings lie where the the twists and the reveals are Mm -hmm. and that takes some planning I'm not saying I there will be suspense authors that don't plan it Um, and you can definitely do a lot of that stuff after you've done a first draft so actually a lot of my red herring type things I I tend to go back and put them in after yeah, done I was going
0: to ask if you did that if it was sort of like go
1: back and yeah because you work things out as you, go, you work things out as you go along you as you write chapter 35 you think oh I should I could tease that in this kind of way in chapter seven or thinking about suspense authors I know and I kind of follow on social media and so on I would say that most of us are planners and I mean it fits my personality as well I like to I'm probably a bit of control freak I like to know what I'm doing I do really like the idea of sitting down one day and just writing without having a plan but I think I would still have a plan in my head I wouldn't be able to
0: just (laughs) just see see where it goes but you'd have a plan to be spontaneous (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly
1: um but I yeah I'm very much admire people that that are this kind of sit down and and write and see where it takes them. Because I think that that sounds like hard work to me. (laughs) I mean, very lucky that the first novel I wrote was my first published novel. Um, That comes with its own-ish problems. Like, I've developed as a writer since then. So um, it's not necessarily my best writing, but it was a great idea, I think. And um, I'm obviously very pleased that it got out there.
0: I remember reading it the first drafts of that and we were discussing how unique it was you were writing from the perspective of a man with locked in syndrome and I just remember us all questioning this and and Celia Brayfield saying I was thinking how is she gonna pull this off but she's done it (laughs) 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 yeah total respect to you for doing that from that from that angle you know I didn't do it to be clever I did like I I did it
1: I've been asked a lot about this since then like oh you know you wrote from the perspective of a man you wrote a whole novel with from the perspective of someone with locked in syndrome so there's no real action well there is action but ostensibly there should be no action there Mm. and he can't see so all you've got no use of the sense of sight. It's all the other senses that are employed and used in the writing. And, you know, what? And that must've been really difficult. What, you know, why did you choose to do that? Well, the truth of it was that I didn't know what on earth I was doing. And I I didn't realize that doing any of those things was was um, gonna be difficult or was uh, particularly brave or, or, or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was hard but yeah I, I I feel like I did hopefully pull it off and um, but the, really yeah the answer to to all those questions is that it was because I didn't know what I was doing and I don't know if I would do it now knowing what I know I've read since or you know yeah uh, yeah that's you know, a good point you know, yeah. you've, got, you've got to have yeah. you know a way of there being action in the novel and blah 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 and um I think I might have overthought it at this stage and thought, no, it's not. It's just not going to work. So I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it at that stage where I was uh, completely naive and just thought, I'll give it a go. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I'm glad you did because we've got the book now to prove it. I know as a writer, you're inside your own head a lot. Do you have any sort of self-care routines to... To help you get out of your head, so that you don't implode. I, I
1: mean, yeah, I do. I look after myself. I've never, I've not really ever thought of it in in terms of being in relation to this career as such. Um, but I think, as with any of us, um, and looking after your mental health and so on, I try not to work kind of in the evenings. A lot of writers are massive workaholics, and I do work hard. unless I've got, if I've got a deadline and I've got to get an edit in, I will work really hard and I'll work all the hours I can. But if I've not, if I'm not in that kind of situation, I do like to switch off in the evenings and do something different, whether that's exercising or watching something on Netflix or reading or whatever, spending time with friends. And I just, I try to be kind to myself, I guess, in terms of the writing and getting too caught up in my own head. I think something that's really helped me with that is having kids. So I have a four-year-old and a nearly two-year-old. And if I get really caught up in the writing and I feel like I've had a bad day of writing, if I then come out of my kind of my office, which is the living room, but let's call it the <laughs> office. When I come out of my office and I come and join in for dinner and I'm in a bad mood because of my writing I just it just feels unfair on them so I really do try to leave it at my desk and to also just just kind of accept it as part of the process that you're gonna have bad writing weeks you're gonna have bad writing days you're gonna have bad writing hours within a day not to beat myself up if I have an hour where I'm I just don't start writing and I'm on Twitter or Ooh. whatever it's just kind of it is all part of the process I mean this is what your your you know your podcast I guess is about procrastinating and and some of the the good things about it as well as the bad but that sometimes it isn't all that bad and it is just part of what it is to be a writer you can't just sit down and write and turn it on every time you want to and that is part of what it is and you I think you have to be kind to yourself and let that be
0: yeah I think that's the kind of consistent advice that I've heard other creative people say is that you need to intuitively sense if you are being damaging to yourself by forcing something or if you are letting the creativity flow from you because if you have this sort of this routine and you're really good at plotting what are the Mm. things that stop you from starting something I
1: think when I'm plotting and and at the kind of idea stage I'm I'm okay I don't I don't have any particularly awful kind of negative procrastinating habits at that point I I'm quite excited about it I want to do it I kind of just get on with it my trouble comes really when I'm writing that first draft and I'm editing that first draft. So just the really early stages where it just feels awful and you're just convinced it's awful, but it oh, might be, brilliant, but, but mainly mainly, you feel like it's awful. And I just don't want to even look at it. I don't want to, oh, it's just a horrible feeling of, once you're in it and it, it you sink in and it feels great and you're in the flow, but that that trying to get into it I find really difficult and it it manifests for me as yeah being on social media on my laptop uh, while I'm you know or checking the news or I get kind of caught up in stuff I need to do around the house or just general life admin jobs I wouldn't say that's not so much procrastination as just that just gets in the way and mm. I end up doing that uh, but yeah it kind of yeah mainly manifests I'm sitting at my desk I don't I'm not the kind of person that procrastinates by going and watching TV for the day or going and doing nice stuff I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm a rubbish procrastinator because I just sit and- <laughs> I, I just sit on my laptop scrolling through social media. And- yeah, so I'm not,
0: I'm,
1: you know, I am not I am I don't you know I hear about people like oh I really I procrastinated so badly today I watched like a whole series on Netflix I'm like I wish I could do that but actually that would probably be a, a little bit useful and and, <laughs> yeah, feel like you've yeah. actually, and you feel like you've done something kind of relaxing whereas I'm just kind of hunched over my desk like oh I'll start working half an hour and then another two hours go past I'll start that is a point where it's not it's not positive and it's not i i i need i do need to do that work and the only thing that's holding me back is i just feeling nervous about it and not having faith in myself mm. and at that point for me it's not a case of really taking a step away and and doing something different and just seeing when the ideas come because i've got the ideas i know what i want to do back in january this year was the last time i i one of the last times I really felt this, and I did a few things. I logged off my social media and gave my husband. I set new passwords and gave the passwords to my husband, so they weren't passwords I could remember. And I, I kind of, I think I took a month off, but I think it would work with a week or or whatever, a few days, just to kind of break that habit of being on it all the time.
0: Mm, Not a good idea, actually. I really, that.
1: it really worked for me just to because I kind of find ways around any of these like blocking apps I'm like oh well I I just find ways around it and so that worked for me also I did something where I was getting up really early a couple of days a week um this is it's a it's an idea from uh, a writer's course called the novelry um and they have a thing called the golden hour that they talk about where um you get up you're meant to get up every day and do it but I wasn't for various reasons but two days a week I'd get up uh half five and I'd creep upstairs to my husband's office because it was an easy place to get quietly without waking the kids up basically and while I was still kind of half asleep I'd do an hour's writing half six the kids wake up and I'd be down and getting involved in the family stuff and and then it's amazing because it you you feel like you get ahead so the rest of the day, if, you, if when I if it was a day when I'd be sitting down later to write, I felt like oh I'm already ahead, I'm already in it, and it was easy then to sit down and carry on. And then also it, your your mind is in this kind of liminal state of between wakefulness and sleep, and it's just a really I don't know I just it was a really good place for writing, place in my mind for writing. So that really worked. And then the final thing was I set targets. So I I realised that. The last couple of times I felt like this, I hadn't set up um, what I usually do, which is a kind of spreadsheet. Again, big spreadsheet fan, where I worked out what my goals were in terms of word counts or x number of chapters a week in order to finish a draft or an edit of a draft in a certain amount of time, and then day by day putting in my progress. And I had a little pie chart that shows your progress as it if you you may have seen on my Instagram pictures of this I sometimes post it yeah um, yeah
0: spreadsheets
1: yeah but but, but it really helps me to have it gives me some accountability and also it the last time really made me realize I because I knew I needed to finish a draft by a certain point to get it to my editor and once I looked at it and looked at all the numbers I thought I'm not on track to get there I need to get on with it I can't do this fannying around on Twitter and Instagram and so it really gave me a kick up the bum for me those three things really helped when when you get to a point where it's not you know it's not positive procrastination it's not oh I'll go I'll go walk around an art gallery or watch some movies while this idea percolates in my mind which is a positive way of procrastinating I think and a really good thing when it's when you actually do need to get on with something I think there's recognizing you to recognize the difference between those two things
0: yeah so you actually set yourself the goals and the, the limits and the deadlines yourself you know within the constraints of what yes the editors said to you sort of breaking it down I guess isn't it into time management how much of your life experience do you write into your fictional into into your fictional books because People always ask you as an author, how did you come up with that idea? And you've said about the first book where you where you saw someone and you you imagined what their loved ones would be feeling. So with the second book, Keep Him Close, how did you come up with, with that storyline or that idea? I live
1: in Bristol and in the area that I live in Bristol, there's an old Victorian prison, well, pr- Bristol prison, Uh, HMP Bristol and it's this big red brick building but it's smack bang in the middle of a residential area and I live very close to it and I walk past it most days Uh, you you walk around the walls of it there's a primary school next to it it's it's I mean you from the main road you wouldn't necessarily know it was there it's it's bizarre how how ensconced it is in in this little residential part of Bristol Mm. um and I got to thinking there are some houses that actually have at the bottom of their back garden have the prison wall, they, they are direct neighbours and it got me thinking if you lived in one of those houses and someone did something awful to your family and then ended up in that prison, a matter of metres away from your house, how would you feel? How would, psychologically, what would that do to you, that proximity? Because it must be hard enough, dealing with the, the you know, the after effects of, of a crime. But how would that proximity to the person who done it to you affect you? So that's how it started, really. The story grew from there. Inevitably, I think there's bits of me that end up in the books mostly by way of thinking well I've experienced something similar to that so what can I take from that you know I've experienced a certain type of grief but I've never lost a child so what can I take from the grief I have experienced and apply to um the 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 woman one of the mothers in keep him close loses Mm. her son her teenage son um so do you see what I mean it it kind of takes you know, when they say write what you know, I think, I think that's what I take away from that is is not to write, not write about your life, but write the things that you know about, apply them to things that you don't, because human experience, there's so many overlaps, and you've got to, as a writer, imagine these other people's lives, and the way to do that is by applying what you know about yours, and, and doing your best, I mean, you're not going to always get it right, but that's the job that we're in.
0: I think it probably gets analyzed more in things like suspense fiction or thrillers than it would do in sci-fi or fantasy because, yeah. It's, yeah. because it's relatable, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. yeah, you're yeah. Right. You're, you're, everyone's trying to work out what's going on in relation to themselves and how they can empathically sort of relate to that storyline. Your advice is really great. I was going to ask you if you could share any wisdom with writers who are struggling with writer's block or procrastination, because I like to handwrite first and then type it up. I was going to ask you if you do that. Do
1: you handwrite? I'd love, uh, do you know what? I would love to. I did quite a lot of my first book, If I Die Before I Wake, I handwrote and typed up. And I did some bits of Keep Him Close. I find it too tricky these days because time is much shorter. When I was writing if I die before I wake I I had taken um a year kind of career break from journalism and I never went back. But all I was doing was writing and I didn't have children. By the time I was writing keep him close and writing my third book I've I had children and time is just a lot shorter and it felt like too much of a luxury for me to handwrite and then type it up I felt
0: Mm -hmm. I just didn't
1: feel like I had the time but I do I do love writing by hand and if I ever am struggling with a chapter or a chapter rewrite I do quite often set kind of just get a notebook out and try writing by hand and that that sometimes really helps to fix it um, I, there's something magic
0: in in handwriting, isn't there? Yeah, I think it does. It sort of channels through, doesn't it? Like you say, if yeah. you if you wake up in the middle of the night and you haven't got your computer next to you, you can kind of scribble something down. Yeah.
1: I don't know. Um, I did when I was a kid, and actually, I've been looking back at those because my third book is set in the mid '90s, and I've been looking back at my diaries from when I was a kid in the '90s. Um, which was, yeah, painful reading, but (laughs) I I don't, I, I, I would, again, I would, I would love to, that I, there's lots of, lots of things like that, I would, I would love to do lots more bits of writing, but I don't I don't find the time it's not I probably it's not fair to say I don't have the time because you, you do have the time don't you if you if you want to find it and I just I just don't I find time for I have priorities I think that I make yeah
0: yeah you prioritize but, um, it in your life we have yeah, exactly. the same amount of time as everybody else it's just yeah what we do, yeah what we do with it like I like sleep yeah. and, and oh I uh, love sleep yeah. <laughs> yeah I can sleep all the time I'm
1: going back to procrastination though I think there are there are definitely ways in which it can be a very positive force and I think like I say when you're in an ideas stage a kind of planning stage or if you are really stuck and you've been productive and then you do get really stuck on a certain chapter it can be really useful just to step away and not just to go and do something else but to be kind to yourself and not sit there beating yourself up and this was advice from another writer. I was really struggling with a particular chapter on my third book, and someone said, Go and like, go for a little walk, buy yourself a chocolate bar, just do something nice for yourself rather than telling yourself how awful you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's important. Advice.
1: And I did, I came back. This was after just, I just took a couple of hours off. I came back and I just felt in a different, different place. But on a, a bigger scale, I think. I don't know if you've ever seen Pixar's rules of storytelling, Um, but they're well worth Googling for anyone that's listening to this. They're really, they're 22 rules, really kind of short and sharp, snappy. Obviously, they are more applied to films they're films that they make but they work for what we do as well and one of them is uh to discount the first thing it says discount the first thing that comes to mind and the second third fourth fifth get the obvious out of the way and surprise yourself now if you you're I think much more likely to do that if you're taking some time away from your desk and um and kind of letting your brain work over your ideas and, and giving yourself space. Because I just think sometimes you're more likely, if you give yourself time to work around an idea, you're more likely to maybe come up with something better than your first idea. Uh, and I, mean, I found this in a weird way uh, because once I had kind of finished my edits on my first book, I had a baby. So I then, I, I've since heard about other writers that, that seem to keep working. I think probably because they have to, because of the point of the edit they're at. Some people have to keep working with a small baby, but I, I kind of just assumed, and I did take uh, oh, nine months, a year off with my child. That's just what I thought I would do, because I, was, I guess I was thinking if I'd still been in my journalism work, that's what I would have done. I'd have taken maternity leave. So I did that. And it was really good to have that time off, not having the pressure of writing the next book to think about it. Mm. And I did have kind of a pressure because I thought I, I do need to come up with an idea, but I wasn't sitting at my desk every day thinking about it. I would kind of just have a little idea here and there. And then the same thing happened with my second book. I finished the edits and I had my second child, um, and again I mean I came up with the idea for my third novel I came up with the way to tell this story that I knew I wanted to tell I kind of fixed the problem after I'd been for a walk with my family I came home I was uh, breastfeeding my baby I was half asleep and I just suddenly kind of my eyes opened and I thought that's it I know what I've got to do you know that that's just letting your you know mind relax and you let letting the ideas
0: come to you yeah I think think there's that that is a really good way of allowing the the inspiration to land isn't it by relaxing and not forcing it that liminal state
1: that I was mentioning earlier that when you're doing the golden hour writing that yeah being kind of between asleep and awake is is um quite a good time it is
0: the theta state isn't it I think yeah I think so do you um remember your dreams at all I do I can't tell you
1: what I dreamt last night but I do sometimes <laughs> I've inherited this from my dad my dad always has very vivid dreams and uh and I yeah I've always had as well
0: yeah I remember I remember them every it, well pretty much every morning I will remember the dream the night before and I did start writing a dream journal as well as a diary and it just got too much yeah you know taking up too much of the morning like trying to get ready in your well, <laughs> all of the dream symbols or whatever what
1: I, what I would really love uh, and I remember writing my second book and struggling with the characters at one point and and I just every night I just went to sleep thinking, please let me dream about them, because if I dream about them, it'll be like watching them in a film. And if you watched a film with your characters in, it would be so much easier to write them. You know, if you if I just I just really I really des- I just remember really desperately wanting to dream about them so oh. that I could really see what they were like and. Um, so I yeah that never happened
0: but I'm I, gonna try I would, that tonight with my next book Yeah,
1: do I, I, I mean I've never made it work but wouldn't it be amazing I, I just yeah because then
0: you could just describe the film that you're watching yeah,
1: exactly and it's not, you know not necessarily Stop their fun. actions but just, I would know I would know better what they were going to do and how they would react and but yeah it never it never happened oh well
0: you seem to have um, pulled it off anyway, Emily, with with your three books. So oh. what, do you have a title for the third one that's coming out?
1: No, do you know what? No, it's 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 a bit of a nightmare. I've I've had titles, they've not been kind of they've not quite worked. Because the, the difficulty is when you're writing in a genre like this, if it's if you're not just writing kind of literary fiction, the title has to suggest what the book is and um, I've been coming up with quite kind of nice poetic literary titles and my editor's like but that no that doesn't
0: <laughs> doesn't tell all a, the reasons you've got to grab the finger by the threat. yeah
1: you, but it's got to suggest a mystery and this that and the other anyway I think there's a quite a push at the moment within publishing houses they want a title as quickly as possible so they can start with the marketing and start with all of that work as early mm. as possible which makes sense but if you haven't got one that's working I, I didn't really want to force it and end up with something that wasn't quite right so no I don't have a title but it's a really amazing book I haven't got a title but I, it's, <laughs> it's, dom- um, it's still domestical, domestic domestic noir uh you can't, yeah kind of it's about so it's uh it's definitely suspense kind of mystery probably elements of thriller It's set in the mid-90s in a heat wave in a seaside town on the south coast of the UK. Um, And it's about the protagonist is a 10-year-old girl called July, who is trying to find out what happened to her mother, who died when she was very small. And she's trying to find out just really things about her, like what bands she liked. But nobody will nobody will talk about her ever. And so she sets out to try and find out a little bit more about her. Uh, And it is kind of, is the story of of what unfolds when she starts digging deeper. And yeah, I loved writing it and I had a lot of fun. It was fun setting it in the nineties and I, and I've got the pandemic to thank for that really. So I know it's obviously brought us a lot of awful things and I would rather none of that had happened, but on the positives for me, it's, I couldn't imagine writing a book in the present day I which is with my first two books I wrote those into the year that they came out basically so if I die before I wake was was set in I think 2018 which is the year it came out and I kind of write in you know oh I see
0: yeah yeah and I
1: and I kind of I couldn't imagine Eight, I couldn't imagine writing a book in the current time we're in, in the middle of this awful thing that's going on. Like, w- would I write about people in bars if that needs to be written about? Would I write about people wearing masks? Would Ooh. I mention food, whatever? And I know lots of other writers have been having the same issue. And then, or if I was setting it kind of next year, how do I know what life is going to be like next year? And I mean, that ought to be fair. That's always going to be the case. And but now it feels particularly that way. Like we just got no idea what's coming. The best way I found to deal with that was to go back in time. And mm, so, mm. so I set it in the 90s and I've had a loads of fun kind of thinking about my memories of the 90s. Asking uh, my readers and friends for what they remember. And, you know, fa- things like favourite sweets and like, what did you watch on telly? Yeah, you know, and flumps and slums, um, yeah. yeah, and you know, like what, what did you, CFAX and teletext, like to you <laughs> yeah. buy your holidays and like for all those things that that uh, it's been really fun and um, I'm really looking forward to this book. I'm out. looking
0: forward to reading it. It sounds like my era. I loved. The <laughs> 90s. So uh, I. I, I think every. I don't know if anybody didn't like that. Nineties is
1: seems to be a very popular very um nostalgic kind of era
0: kind of the bit at the cusp just before mobile phones wasn't it so yeah you had to remember those nights out you didn't have videos or TikTok or snapchat or you literally just went out for your night out you came home and you had a memory of it
1: yeah yeah and so yeah in the house in the family that the story is about they've got no internet either so you know, internet was. Uh, I think when I'm when I was writing it into the, the mid 90s, people I think were starting to get dial up. You know,
0: yeah, the, uh, with that um, funny noise. Yeah,
1: yeah, but not everybody. So, so it was really fun to set it in a time where there was yeah, no but no mobile phones. She didn't have access to internet. Uh, yeah, no social media or anything because it's it's a real pain in the ass to be honest. Being a thriller suspense writer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and having social media and fo- like everything, you know,
0: it's, you have sense. to really build
1: in ways for people to get themselves isolated and in trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jonathan Pinnock was talking about that with his, his novels, you know, the mobile phone problem. That, you yeah, know, you, it could get you out of all sorts of things. So you have to sort of write it out of the, out of the script, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I just completely ignore it, completely in horror. (laughs) um, There is, you know, we'll just have a character that just doesn't use a mobile phone because they're so old. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, Emily, thank you so much for speaking with me on Procrastination Station. I think there's a lot that people can take from your um, your knowledge and your experience of writing three books and. I'm going to look up the Pixar storytelling thank room to, to help me with my writing as well. So, so thank you. And and now we can both go and sit in our respective cold baths.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go and sit in the garden and, yeah, just fan myself. Yeah. Oh,
0: oh, oh. thank you,
1: Paul. It's been, been really fun it's to chat, it. as always. And, uh, um, yeah, I thank you for having me
0: you've been listening to procrastination station with me polly hall you can find out more on pollyhall.co.uk and social media at polly hall writer goodbye